today we do want to talk about guilt. Right? Guilt is something I think we have all experienced at some point in our lives. It's one of those feelings that we often uh, do not like to feel. Uh, and so the question is, is when we feel guilt, what do we do? You know, what is our reaction to that? Uh, sometimes people, when they feel guilt, they start to squash it, right? Uh, they squash it over and over. They don't want to feel it. Uh, so, so they just get to the point where they never feel guilt. And that's not really healthy. That's not uh, something that, that I would encourage you to do. You know, guilt is there for a reason. Uh, guilt, along with the shame that often is associated with guilt, are pow- powerful motivators. You know, th- there are feelings that, that we don't like, and so we do things differently so that we don't have to deal with it. Right? We change. Right? And, and guilt's there to, to tell us what we do is wrong, and we change so that we're not doing wrong but doing right. We experience guilt pretty much in all aspects of our lives. We experience that as children, I assume at least. Uh, I know in my life I experienced it as a child. Uh, one, I remember in particular one day standing on the back of my mom's uh, chair in her living room uh, looking at a picture or something that was hanging above it. And in she walks and says, you're not supposed to do that. And you know that. You know, and I don't remember what sh- all she actually said or, or anything like that, but I do remember feeling guilt and not wanting to displease my mom in that way again. So I don't know that I ever uh, stood on the back of my mom's chair again. Maybe for you it wasn't standing on the back of the chair, but was reaching into that cookie jar right as she walks in, right? What did you feel in that moment? I, those are the feelings that we feel as children, as adults, uh, we probably feel guilt there as well. Right? Maybe you're that guy that went into the uh, work lunchroom for getting your lunch and looking and seeing, oh, a bag unmarked by names and taking the food. Maybe that was you. Maybe not. Right? Maybe, maybe that was someone else. Right? But, but maybe you felt guilt for doing that. Uh, I worked at Walmart Distribution Center up in Moberly, and uh, one of the guys there uh, tended to like to break a certain rule. One of the rules we had on the warehouse floor was that you could not have your cell phone. But this guy had his cell phone all the time texting uh, and, and putting it away. And he did it in such a way that he never got caught. Everyone knew he did it, but they couldn't catch him. Right? And the reason why was because uh, even though there were cameras all over the building, he would walk into the picking stall where the cameras couldn't see, and that's when he would do all his messaging and put it up, and he'd look around to make sure no one was around. And the reason he probably did that, I assume at least, is because he knew that he shouldn't. That guilt of what I'm about to do is not right. I, and and there's, there's reasons for that. They didn't want you to get hurt, you know, hit by a moving vehicle or whatever. And so there's reasons for that, but he did it anyways. Maybe we feel guilt as parents. Now, every once in a while, I do things that cause my children to cry, not because I want them to cry or that I was intending to make them cry. And when they start to cry, I feel guilty for the way I reacted to them. Or maybe you feel guilty for the things that your, your children do. You know, maybe you feel like you failed as a parent in some way because your child is acting in this way or that. Whatever it is, we do feel guilt And we have to ask that question, what do we do with it? Well, in the book of Judges, the Israelites, they came to a moment in their history where they felt guilt collectively. 
And they are left with that question, what do we do with it? Today we're going to be in Judges chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open there. Uh, Judges 21 is the last chapter of a story uh, that's been taking place since the beginning of chapter 19. Uh, It's an interesting story. It's a story all about justice uh, and and how justice is perverted over and over again. Uh, And and this chapter is no different. Uh, In chapter 19, we were introduced to a Levite and his concubine. Uh, They had had some marital issues but had been reunited and were traveling back home when they stopped at the town of Gibeah. And while at Gibeah, some wicked men from the town decided that they wanted to do uh, some things to the man that was not lawful. Uh, and, and what ended up happening was the concubine got tossed out instead of the man, and she was raped and killed. Uh, well, the Levites, he wanted justice, and last week we read in chapter 20 about how he called for the Israelites to gather together to get justice for his dead concubine. Uh, the Israelites, they listened to the story, and they uh, went to the tribe of Benjamin that the town of Gibeah was situated in, And they said to the tribe, give us those wicked men so that we could kill them. That was the just punishment for their actions. Well, the Benjamin did not want to concede this, and so uh, they went to war. Uh, Eventually, the Israelites, they they won the war after three battles uh, and ended up killing all of the Benjamites, the women, the children, the old men, uh, as well as the army. And so the innocents were slaughtered, except, and all that survived of Benjamin were 600 men, and that's where the story in chapter 21 picks up today. Uh, we're going to read uh, verse starting in verse 2 uh, today and kind of read uh, from there. Verse 2 says, The people went to Bethel, where they sat before God until evening, raising their voices and weeping bitterly. Lord God of Israel, they cried, Why has this happened to Israel? Why should one tribe be missing from Israel today? Early the next day, the people built an altar and they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. <coughs> so the Israelites, they, uh, after the battle is over and once they're able to actually take a step back and look at what they have done, they realize that what they had done, their actions, was not right. Uh, They had sought justice for the wicked men of Gibeah who had done evil, and that was okay. The way they went about it wasn't necessarily right, but justice needed to be served. But in the result of serving justice to these wicked men, they had resulted in killing innocent people, and that is not right by any standards. And it's only by taking a step back that they realize, man, we have messed up big time. And so they, they're crying out to God, asking God, why? Now, sometimes when we think about guilt, we can sometimes feel guilt before uh, we start to do something bad, right? How many have ever felt that before, where you know that what I'm about to do, what I'm planning on doing is wrong? And yet sometimes we listen to the guilt and we pull back, but sometimes we go through it, right? I remember in eighth grade, uh, we, uh, I was on the basketball team, and we practiced at an elementary school in the next town over uh, every day. And so the bus would take us from the middle school, uh, drop us off on the main street of, of this little town of Carthage, and we would walk from where the bus dropped us off to the elementary school. And on our path, there was this store. Uh, it, was, uh, it had candy inside it, so we loved to stop in there and kind of 
pick out candy, and the candy was cheap, like a penny for like Tutti Fruities, which are my favorite, by the way, all right, and so a uh, penny for, for one of those, and so we could fill up our bags with just a few uh, dollars or even 50 cents. I remember going in there a bunch of times with my teammates, and I remember one time looking and watching what they were doing, and they were just tossing the candy in their bags. This lady, the little lady that ran the store, she trusted us, which isn't something you should do for eighth graders, okay? All right, but she trusted us to come to her with our bags and tell her how much was in there. And so all my teammates were piling it in, and they would say, yes, I have 50 cents worth of candy. And they would hand her 50 cents when in reality they probably had like two or three dollars worth of candy in their bags. And I remember thinking, you know what, I only have a quarter. I want more candy than what I can get for a quarter. And I remember piling it in just like them and and giving her my quarter. And in the moment I knew what I was doing was wrong. Like I could feel the guilt and the shame. And in fact it weighed on me so much that every day after that, anytime I went into the store, I would just put a little bit in and give her more money to kind of pay her back for what I had stolen. All right. And so I felt that guilt. All right? And sometimes when we feel guilt, we, we know it's there and we know it's going to be shameful for us. And yet we still go through it. And, and, and sometimes, though, a lot of times, most of the times, we don't really feel guilt until afterwards. All right? Until after we've done it, and we've stepped back and we look at the results of our actions. And that's what's happening here with the Israelites. They are now after the battle is over, after they've calmed down, after uh, vengeance has been served, they are able to step back and just for a moment say, what did we do? And they ask an interesting question, I think, of God, right? God, why has this happened? Well, that answer is easy, right? You lost control, right? You got angry. We don't even understand why you were angry, but you got angry and you went off and you just killed everyone. There's a need for self-control in the people of God. And we see that over and over in the New Testament. There is importance to self-control, and self-control is there so that we don't do big mistakes like what the Israelites did. Self-control is necessary. And we see that, that they are feeling guilt and feeling shame and that they decide that they need to offer sacrifices to God. Uh, And in that verse 4, we read about two different sacrifices that they give. Uh, These sacrifices in the Old Testament, there was a a number of different sacrifices, and it all depended upon the situation as to which sacrifice was used. And so we can kind of learn a couple of things by the type of sacrifices they did. The first one that they give is a burnt offering. This was a sacrifice given when when you had sinned, and you were wanting your sin to be covered. So they realized that they had made a mistake, and that they needed God's grace. And so they're coming to God with a burnt sacrifice. The other one is the peace offering. All right, and this is the one that you give when you realize a relationship has been broken and you want it to be restored. Sometimes it was between you and another person. Sometimes it was between you and God. And quite possibly this is them and God. They realize they have sinned and there is a broken relationship between them and God. But it could also be a sign of their worry over the tribe of Benjamin. There's not much left. 600 guys, no women. And so they're feeling a lot of guilt and a lot of shame, and they're asking the question, what do we do now? How do we remove guilt and shame from our lives? Well, they decide to go about it a certain way. They feel like they can they can do this and take this in their own hands. Uh, one thing that we do have to know is, is what took place in verse 1. 
Uh, verse 1 is kind of going to set the scene for everything else we're going to read. So let's go back and read verse 1. It says, The men of Israel had taken an oath at Mizpah, uh, and the oath was this, Not one of us will give his daughter in marriage to a Benjamite. I think they did this out of anger, out of spite. I mean, there's a lot of times we get into arguments and we say things that we wish we could take back as soon as it leaves our lips. All right, maybe you've been there, maybe you haven't. All right, and I think that's what this is. All right, they're frustrated with the Benjamites. All right, they probably have lost a couple of battles by this time that they get to this point. And they're just to the point where they're just fed up and they say, you know what, we're not going to support them at all. They're, our children are not going to marry their children. And it's rather harsh and rather brash. All right, and what we see here is this. They are now, after everything has happened, looking back at what they've done, and they realize, oh no, we've just, we've just killed a tribe. No, they've killed all the women, all the children. They have nobody that they can marry. Right, and there's 600 men left. And so they're going to have to work around this oath. How can we solve this issue without breaking our vows? Remember, these three chapters are all about justice. How is justice done? And in this particular chapter, the justice that is being done is on oaths. What do we do about the things that we say we're going to do? And the way that they are going to solve this issue is by trying to work around it, and it causes a lot of um, injustice as a result. So let's read this, uh, verses uh, 6 through 9. We read that the Israelites uh, grieved for the tribe of Benjamin, their fellow Israelites, and they said to each other, Today one tribe is cut off from Israel. How can we provide wives for those who are left? Since we have taken an oath by the Lord not to give any of them our daughters in marriage. And so they asked themselves, Which one of the tribes of Israel failed to assemble at the Lord at Mizpah? They discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead had come to the camp for the assembly. For when they counted the people, they found that none of the people of Jabesh Gilead were there. And so this, this oath is kind of an issue, right? If no one is allowed to give their daughters in marriage, that means these Benjamites are going to have to live out their lives and die and, or, or marry Canaanites, right? which wasn't what they were supposed to do either. And so this tribe is just going to be completely gone. So how do we get this tribe back together? Well, the first thing that we can do is figure out who didn't take the oath. And so that's what they do. They, they kind of work around and they ask and they do a census. Okay, where are you from? Where are you from? Where is from? And they finally get to the place where they realize, you know what? Jabesh Gilead. They didn't send anybody. Therefore, they didn't give an oath. And so they're going to work around this a little bit. They can't give their daughters, but they can give other people's daughters. Okay? That's, that's the irony in this story. All right? That's what they're going to do. So uh, <coughs> they're going to send some people to Jabesh Gilead. Now, this is a little, it didn't work very well in first service. Hopefully you guys do a little bit better. All right, if you were going to send somebody to Jabesh Gilead, what would you do if you went there to ask them for their daughters? You would ask them, right? Thank you. That's the only person that's answered in the two services. Good job, A plus, gold star. All right, that's what I would do. I would ask. Here's what they decide to do in verse 10. So the assembly sent 12,000 fighting men with instructions to go to Jabesh Gilead and to put everybody to the sword, those living there, including the women and children. And this is what you are to do, they said. Kill every male and every woman who is not a virgin. 
And they found among the people living in Jabesh Gilead 400 young women who had never slept with a man, and they took them to the camp of Shiloh in Canaan. So they send off their envoys, and they say, kill everyone. I mean, this is, this is, this is crazy, right? I mean, we look at this story, and we're like, what are you doing? I, and and they're, they're going about this all wrong, I think. I believe. I, I think you think so, too. But, I, you know, I think that they're going about this wrong. They should have asked, but instead they're just going to kill everybody. They take action, uh, and they pervert justice yet again. When we feel guilty, what do we do? See, for the Israelites, when they felt guilty uh, about killing all of the Benjamites, and they're trying to solve their issue and get rid of their shame and their guilt, they go off to the town of Jabesh Gilead and they kill the Israelites. I mean, they, they take the thing that's causing them guilt and they're trying to do it again. I think far too often we do this. Sometimes when we feel guilty about something, uh, instead of trying to solve the guilt, we just go back to what we had done because when we're in the midst of participating in those sins, we don't feel guilty. It's only when we're stepping back and looking at it, that's when we feel it. So if we're in it, we're using it as like a band-aid to cover our shame. But it just leaves more messes. We see it all the time in our world. We see it with addiction in whatever form it takes. The constant need to go back and, and get that high, to get that thing to cover the pain that I'm feeling and the guilt. Why do we do this? Probably just because of who we are as humans. We don't like the feeling, so maybe this thing that made me feel good in the moment is what I need. This is what the Israelites are doing. They're covering their guilt by, by doing the same thing, and the results of it is not good. Right? There are men and women who are killed. The, the 400 women that they do find, it's not enough to solve the issue. How many men were there? 600. How many wives do they now have? 400. I don't know about you. I'm not necessarily very good at math, but 600 minus 400 is a lot of women still to need. It didn't solve the issue. They were going about it by their own means, and it wasn't fixing the problem. Well, the Israelites, they, uh, in the next couple of verses, they, they offer the Benjamites, the 600 men, they said, we're not going to kill you. You can come back now. And they give the women as a pledge. All right? So 400 men are now married to 400 women whose families are all dead. And then the Israelites are still with, left with this problem, right? What do we do about the 200 that don't have wives? Well, here's their solution in verse 18. They're talking to each other, and they said, we can't give our, them our daughters as wives, since any Israelites has, oh, since we Israelites have taken the oath, cursed be anyone who gives a wife to Benjamin. But look, there is an annual festival of the Lord in Shiloh, which lies north of Bethel, east of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem and south to Lebanon. So they instructed the Benjamites, saying, go, hide in the vineyards, and watch. 
And when the young women of Shiloh come out to join in the dancing, rush out of the vineyards, and each of you sees one of them to be your wife. Then return to the land of Benjamin. And when your, their fathers or brothers complain to us, we will say to them, do us a favor of helping them, because we did not get wives for them during the war. You will not be guilty. And here's the reason why you're not going to be guilty of bringing them. Get this, okay? Because you didn't give them the daughters. All right, get this, okay? They're saying to them, the reason why you're not going to break your oath is because you didn't give them. They were taken. I mean, that, that they're trying to work around the oath. All right, we got it. We got to somehow solve this issue. We can't give them, but if, you know, if they take them, what, what can we do? I mean, this is, this, is, this is how the story ends, right? The Benjamites go. They find this festival. The women that are eligible for whatever reason, they're, they're separated, uh, maybe by dress, maybe by the type of festival it was, <coughs> and they are taken and used as wives, kidnapped. And the book of Judges ends with the common refrain we've been looking at over the last five weeks, and it says this, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. The Israelites, they tried to alleviate their guilt and their shame by taking it into their own hands. And by doing that, they perverted justice even more. They killed more innocence. They allowed kidnapping to be an okay thing. All right? They did things that, that we look at and we're like, what are they doing? One glaring thing in this entire story is this. Not once do they go to God and say, God, what should we do? They come to God and they say, God, why did this happen? They come to God and they offer burnt sacrifices and, and peace offerings. But never once do they ask God, God, how can we fix this problem? And rather than turning to God, they take it into their own hands, and their shame and their guilt remains. So what do we as the people of God need to do? When we have guilt, when we have shame in our lives for the things that we have done, what are we to do? What is our reaction. Well, I think we need to ask the question, why is guilt and shame even there in the first place? See, I think guilt and shame are a part of our conscience. It's this thing inside of each one of us uh, that tells us what is right and what is wrong, and it guides us. And, and, and no matter where you're at, no matter who you are, if you're a Christian or if you're not, there are a number of things in this world that we do that you know is right and you know is wrong. And our conscience works to guide us into those things that we think are right and the things that we think are wrong. Paul talks about this conscience in this way in Romans chapter 2. He says these words on the screen. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things required of the law, they are a law for themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. And so what Paul says here is, is those who, who do not know right and wrong the way God has set it out in the, in the Bible, they still have a conscience. 
They still do what is right and what is wrong. And it's because uh, there's this overarching law that God has given all mankind. All right, so it's there. And so what happens when we choose to, to, what do we do with our conscience? That's really the question, right? Sometimes we listen to it, right? And sometimes we don't. Right? Sometimes when we know we're about to do wrong, we stop. And sometimes when we know we're about to do wrong, we do it anyways. And so what is that doing to us? Some of us are very attuned in our lives to following our conscience, but a lot of us, we're okay with not following it at times. And when we constantly do that over and over and over again, it changes us. Right? The Bible has a word for it. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about it. He says this, on the screen. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the fertility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They separate from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so that uh, so so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. So this is talking about Gentiles, those who are not Christians, okay? All right, he's talking about those who are not Christians who are living not according to their conscience, not according to what is right and wrong. And he says that what happens to them is this, is that their hearts become hardened. And when we choose not to follow our conscience of what is right and wrong, then we tend to harden our hearts, we become darkened in our understanding. Right? We lose all sensitivity to others around us. And I think that's what we are seeing in Judges 21. The Israelites, they have just killed hundreds and hundreds of people, an entire tribe of men, women, and children. And no matter where you're at in history, killing children is not acceptable. Right? It's not something that is good. And so they, they, they've done this, and they've done it against their conscience. And they finally get to the place where they're like, okay, how do we get rid of our guilt and shame? Well, let's go kill some more people. All right? And, and I, I can just hear the arguments, right? What is one more city? What is one kidnapping to make us feel better? And these things are, are causing them to harden themselves. It's causing justice to be perverted. And it's changing who they are as a people to where they just don't care about anyone but themselves. I mean, those women that were kidnapped, they had families. And yet they were taken without thought. I would have gone to Jabesh Gilead and said, hey, you know, everyone's upset about Benjamin. Surely you are too. But that's not what they did. They didn't care about killing some more. They'd become darkened in their understanding and separated from the life God had for them. And we as the people of God in our day cannot repeat the mistakes of Israel. When we have shame and guilt. It's there because we have sinned. We have made mistakes. And no matter what mistakes you have made in your life, it doesn't mean that you should keep on doing them. You're called to live to a different life. You're not to ignore your conscience. You're to follow it because the Holy Spirit inside you as Christians is guiding your conscience in the way that God wants you to live. We are to follow 
God's will in this. So what are we to do? Well, I think we're to have a good conscience, and Paul says this a couple of times. Uh, once in, in Acts chapter 24, he's talking, Paul's talking, he says, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. And then he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, The goal of the command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. We are to have good conscience. We're to listen to it. We're to follow it. We're to follow God's will in that. You know, when we sin and mess up, when we choose not to follow our conscience, in those moments when we feel guilt and shame, we should run back to God. We shouldn't keep going. There's a reason why we're feeling guilt. There's a reason why we're feeling shame. We need to change to follow the path that God has led us, and we need to run back to Him. Because when we take our guilt and our shame, and we try to fix it by ourselves, all we end up doing is breaking more things. We end up like the Israelites, killing more people, perverting justice yet again. And it's not what we need. We need the God who brings healing because our God can take what we have broken and he can fix it. And so if our conscience is hurting because we're choosing not to follow it, if we are feeling the guilt and shame of the actions that we've taken in our past, there is a solution. Our God can heal it. Peter talks about this. In 1 Peter, he says this, Christ also suffered once for sin, once and for all for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. He continues and says, it is only a few, In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved by the ark through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. And so what this passage is saying here is this, is that when you feel guilty, when you have an unclear conscience, there is a way to have it cleaned. And that's through Jesus. See, Jesus came to this earth to take your sin, your guilt, and your shame, and to nail it on the cross with him. And there are times in our lives where where we just hold on to our guilt, and we just don't give it up to Jesus. But Jesus came to die that death that you deserve, so that you can have life in him. He came to give you that clear conscience. And I think if the Israelites had just come before God and said, God, what do we do? God would have healed them. God can heal you. No matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, he can take it away. If you are struggling in this, what better time than now to come before God? Will you pray with me? Great God, we are grateful for the things that you've done in our lives. We're grateful that you sent Jesus 
to be the sacrifice for our mistakes. That you sent Jesus to give us a clear conscience uh, despite the, the sins we've gone through, despite uh, the guilt we have, despite the shame that we've brought upon ourselves for not following your ways. Lord God, when we struggle with that guilt of the wrongs that we've done, when we have shame because we have not followed your paths, help us, Father, not to just ignore you. Help us not uh, to turn away from you and continue down that path because that path leads to brokenness. Help us instead, Father, to follow you in all things. Help us come before your cross, to kneel before you, to allow your love to wash over us, to allow your forgiveness to be who we are. God, we come before you now. And we just ask that your blood cover us. And we ask that we can have that clear conscience before you. And that we can be wholly yours. I ask this in your name. Amen.